All right, so let's talk about fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I couldn't find this font to, uh, to write the rest down, but my name would be right here, David, if it matters, and the date would be right above it. And the sermon title would say love right there, real big, love. So just picture love. We're talking about the fruit of love today. And to do this, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, 22. So if you could stand to your feet, we'll read this together. Just one, no, two verses, 5, 22 and 23. Nice and short, we can do this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would uh, stir us this morning for more of your love. That we wouldn't be numb to your Holy Spirit and what you would speak uh, to us and how you would direct us to live out your love this week. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. I would ask that you... This whole series, as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to be doing this. My, my request of you is that you don't let your ears become dull of hearing because you've heard about the fruit of the Spirit since you were in kindergarten or preschool, whenever it is that you first started hearing these verses and memorizing, and, and memorizing things. And, because it'd be easy to say, I know about this because I've heard about it for a long time. But hearing about something for a very long time is very different than knowing something. I've eaten a lot of food in my life. I've known very little about, about it. Like I, can, I, I hope to eat, you know, maybe like cake today. I would love to have cake. I just have cake on the mind. I want cake. Uh, and you can eat cake a long time without ever actually knowing what goes into the cake and, and appreciating the layers of flavor of a cake. Right? You could just simply eat it and scarf it down like a kid at a birthday party, or you could really enjoy it and know what goes into it and enjoy the various aspects of it and the various flavors in it. And that's the difference between the way a child understands something and the way an adult understands something. The child just consumes it quickly, and the adult has a capacity to divide it up and to, to cherish it, to savor, maybe a, be it a flavor or even, even an idea. And so I would contend that if you've grown up hearing about the fruit of the Spirit, whether it be love that we're covering today or joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control, any of these things, you've heard messages on it, you've thought about it, you think you've got it, but I would argue that oftentimes what we do is we say we've got it and then we don't allow it to go any deeper than it's already gone in our heart, mind, and soul. And so we're stuck with a six-year-old's understanding of what is love. Or we're stuck with a six-year-old's understanding of what is kindness. And we haven't allowed it to mature in our heart and mind to produce even greater fruit than it can produce in the life of a six-year-old that doesn't quite understand it as well. Now, the, six, the six-year-old enjoys the cake. And it's good. And they, they like it. But, but the, the adult can really enjoy the cake. Six-year-olds enjoy love. But we can really deeply appreciate love in a way that they can't. My, my, my children and I, we get into these conversations, especially when they were younger, when it slows down as they get older. But the conversations about, I love you the most. 
they know that they have this affection toward me and my wife and that I love you the most. I love you to the moon and back. I love you as much as you love me plus one. And, and, and they do. They, they love, she loves me right now with all of her heart. And there's not a part of her that doesn't love me unless I tell her no candy. And then she doesn't love me. Then I'm Satan. <laughs> At that moment, she loves candy. <laughs> or daddy. There's not enough room for love for both of them. And yeah, don't get in the way of the candy. Now, if I give her the candy, she loves me the most. But I, I, my understanding of love is bigger and greater than her understanding of love. So when I say, I love you too, baby, even without more description, the weight of my love for her is greater. The depth and the breadth of my love for her is greater. And so I would encourage you, don't check out on any of these things. The object of uh, the idea of love is, is tough. It's, it's a question that philosophers and theologians have been wrestling with since before we had a word to describe what love is. It's this thing that's out there and is, is so, so big and so broad and so comprehensive. It's tough to put a definition to it. And any definition we put to it seems to fall short because it only can focus on one aspect at a time. And so we've got this multifaceted thing, this, this diverse and beautiful idea of love, this, that, that we can really understand part of it at a time. And so we struggle to understand it. And one philosopher, uh, said, what is love? And was so bothered by it, he repeated the question, what is love? And then he acknowledged the difficulty in, in, the difficulty in love. He said, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. That, the great philosopher Hathaway is the one who penned those words and sang them. Put it to, put it to music. Put it to, put it to a beat. What is love? But it is so complicated, right? What is this love? And don't hurt me. Like, like right next to each other, these two thoughts. I thought that's such an accurate way that we understand love. Because we're like, I want love so much. If it doesn't, if it does, just don't hurt me. God, I like the idea of loving you, but I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. I love the idea of trusting you with my life, but I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. And so our great philosopher Hathaway put it really well for our generation, I think. Love is, love is tough to define um, because it is such an encompassing idea. It's so comprehensive. In the Hebrew, there are uh, at least 11 words that describe different and varied aspects of love, from cherishing to friendship and romantic. There's a love that's to be pitied. There's the bonding between two people. There's a mother's sentiment. There's, there's an attachment you're still trying to figure out. And there's obligatory love. And then in the Greek, we have at least four words that, that describe love, each kind of focusing on focusing in on a different aspect aspect of love. Some of these words for the Greek and some of the word for the Hebrew are in the Bible and some of them aren't in the Bible. But it's just the idea of love is so comprehensive that more complex languages have tried to break it down and have it. We in English just use the word love for everything. My love for nachos is the same word, the same four letters that I use to describe my love for my wife. And I promise you, I love my wife much more than any nachos. It's a low bar, but we'll celebrate that. <laughs> like he loves his wife more than nachos. <laughs> baby steps, baby steps to maturity. Um, 
But I use that same word to describe the love that I have for my wife to describe the love that I have for God. And we use the same word to describe our love for God that we use to describe his orientation toward us, that he loves us. And so we wrestle for other adjectives to put around the love in English to describe how outrageous and amazing God's love is towards us. Hence that song, Reckless Love, that that got the church all angry at each other, (laughs) which is ironic about a song about love. (laughs) But the author of that song was saying, no, 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 the love of God seems so reckless because he's giving so freely and openly to people who who reject him so readily. It seems reckless to us. But we do know on the other side that he, it was, there's nothing reckless about it. It's fully intentional and, and very deliberate. And he didn't regret a moment of it because God carries no regret. And so here we are with this idea of, um, of love that we have a really, we do a really bad job of describing in the English. Um, but we're going to use the English word for the rest of the sermon. So just understand that as I talk about the word love, we're talking about the broader idea of love. We're talking about the comprehensive divine love that comes from God. Because as we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we're not talking about the fruit of the thing that we can produce on our own. We're talking about the thing that God can produce through us. So in the same way that uh, we just finished that huge series on faith, we talked about how faith doesn't originate with us. It it originates with God. God presses on our hearts with ideas and burdens and and questions. And and he, he, in that pressing, produces faith inside of us. It's a gift from God that then we we then steward and direct our faith as as he leads us according to the Holy Spirit. Fruit, Fruit is the same way. It doesn't originate with us, but fruit is something that comes first from God. And then as we, as we, experience it and walk in it, then, then we ultimately end up producing it. First John chapter four, verses seven and eight says it this way, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so we see that maybe part of the reason that the, the love is so difficult to define and so difficult to ascribe meaning to, and even with all the words, with the 11 Hebrew and four Greek words and everything else, all the extra adjectives that we can put around it, it still falls incomplete to describe what love is because love is God. God is love. It's his nature, it's, in, it's his attribute, it's his orientation, it's how he is and what he does and how he is towards us and how he is towards us. And so what we have is that, that the love is from God because God is love. It's no wonder that it'd be difficult to define. Now here's what we need to do. As we consider this fruit of love in order to bear the fruit of love, in order for this God who is love to provide for us love, is we need to receive that love and then we'll, re- then we'll reflect that love. And actually, that, I, I want to say that we'll receive it. We need to also remember it and then we need to reflect it. But we can't reflect it and we can't bear the fruit of love until we receive it and and enjoy it and experience it for ourselves. And I think sometimes we're so eager to put off the fruit of the Spirit or we're so eager to be something that we forget to catch the something and hold it and cherish it for ourselves. 
In sports, it's this way. It's, it's one of the hardest things to do to teach a kid to do is to catch the ball all the way before you start running. And so what happens is they're like, I think I got it because it's close. And they'll just kind of start running and then, and then they drop the ball. Or it was touching my hands, so I think I've got it. And I move on to the next thought, which is scoring touchdowns and writing and signing contracts for multi-millions of dollars. Right? It's my, it's my sports center interview. But, uh, if, if I don't, if I don't fully receive the ball, there will be no contract. There will be no interview. There will be no sports center. We need to be able to receive the thing that's coming before we move with the thing or reflect the thing that we're supposed to be reflecting. Amen? And so, um, yeah, I'll just, let's keep moving. Now, here's the thing about God's love toward us that we need to receive. It says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. And it's a beautiful truth of the gospel. That while we were sinners, while God saw us living in rebellion against him, he loved us by dying for us and redeeming us. He basically said, I'm going to go die for a people who have no interest in me. So that they can belong to me. And be mine. And I can be theirs. It's a beautiful thing that, that in our rebellion against him, he's like, I know you don't want this right now, but I'm going to do it anyway because you don't know how badly you, how, you don't know how badly you actually need me and you don't understand how distracted you are by all the other things. So I'm going to do it and, and hopefully this gets your attention so that you can see that, that I love you. Now, this is very different than the love that we show because we tend to show love towards those who show love towards us. And that's a dangerous thing. Because if we're not showing love until we feel loved, where does the love start? It's got to get jump-started somehow. Something needs to insert itself from the outside and speak into our situation and speak into our condition and jump-start some love so that we can then bring love into the human cycle, into the human experience. And that's what Jesus did for us. Now, most of the love that we experience is love that's built on us, on, on us experiencing benefit from the love that we share. So love jumps in. I love JC. And my love for JC is cool as long as I enjoy loving JC. What I really love is the benefit of loving JC. Because as I'm kind towards him and I'm loving towards him, he's kind and loving towards me. So I enjoy loving JC because love comes back towards me. But what happens when we love someone when the, when the kindness it doesn't reciprocate? We find out whether or not what I had for JC was actually love or whether I, what I had for JC was my own self-interest. Because I like having somebody like JC liking me. You tracking? You got anybody in your life you've been liking because of your own self-interest? thinking about their boss. A couple of y'all thinking about me. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I really don't like him. But this is, this is the love that he had for us, that even knowing that we were rejecting him, he died for us. And he didn't die for us because we were going to love him so well back and because we added so much benefit to his life. I don't add benefit to God's life. 
I mean, I do in the sense that like things are better than they were. <laughs> but you're like, when you really look at yourself, like when you double click on your life, you're like, what? This perfect loving being is choosing me. That's reckless. <laughs> so here's what we have to do to receive the love. We first have to acknowledge that we're sinners. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. Acknowledge that we're wayward from, from God and his purpose and his plan. And that we serve our own plan and purpose primarily above everything else, more than him and more than his purpose. We need to acknowledge that. We need to believe that, that Christ died for us. We need to believe that God exists, that he's real, that he's true, that he died in our place and because of, because of our sin, that, that he died. And then, and then we need to confess that he's Lord over all of that and receive his forgiveness. Now, for some of us, if we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we, we forget about it. We're like, we're like, ah, I nailed that 15 years ago. Got that worked out, settled. I'm good. I'm saved. Yeah, but are you, but, but I mean, when was, love shouldn't work that way. That it's like, oh yeah, I told my wife I loved her 14 years ago. I received her love towards me 14 years ago. We're good. That'd be an awful relationship. Just kind of remember it on the anniversary. Remember when I loved you 14 years ago? <laughs> Gave you the ring, we threw a big party, told everybody about how much we love each other, and then remember when we loved each other then? This, this acknowledgement of our sinfulness is something that, that, can, that should be a part of our normal life. And if, if God hasn't led you in repentance lately, I would, I would guess that your relationship is lacking a little something-something. If he hasn't highlighted a place where your heart is wayward from him or, or you, your priorities have promoted themselves in your life, I, I would, if he hasn't put his hands on something, I would submit that, that you're not walking as closely to him as you think that you are. And so we need to do that. And then for, it's not just receiving then, but we need to remember now. In Psalm 77, verse 11, he says, Yeah, I will remember. He doesn't say, Yeah, I. That's, that was me. It's, it just says, I. <laughs> I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And this is, this is the, the, the psalmist is saying, he, the psalmist is saying, I remember how God has been towards me and my people throughout the generations. And that gets me excited about what is possible for now and in the future. That's why it matters that you're here. Because when I see Jermaine, I remember the deeds of old. I remember Jermaine's story and how God met him on the college campus and, and, and how his life has been transformed and how he added a wife and children and blessing and, and brought him through all these different kinds of things so that he could, he could establish and position him to be a benefit to many people. I remember the story of Marcus and Victoria when we first sat down. I remember that conversation, y'all. It gets me happy when I think about when we sat down together. It lights me up. I remember JC and Keith Temple, two of the elders there, I was sitting me down and telling me about God's purpose and plan for my life when I was tripping. Not like, like literally, I was tripping. I was, it was like I was 16 years old and I thought it was funny to run into a room and, and trip and like throw myself on the ground. You know, like they do on, on Facebook Live and Instagram and Vines and all that before, before we had cameras on our phones. I was that guy. 
If we had camera phones when I was a kid, I'd be dead because I had zero chill. I was literally tripping just all over the place. I'd run into church and trip in the lobby. I'd run into, like, I'd be at a conference and I'd run into a restaurant and trip at Boston Market and just, like, make a big old scene because it's kind of funny. (laughs) But when when I was that way, they came to me and showed me the love of God. I added zero benefit to their life and they showed me love in those times. But I remember, and I I remember like the psalmist remembers, I remember the goodness of God through the generations. I remember the goodness of God to my dad when he was unemployed or underemployed for about 20 years, how God always supplied. I remember the stories before, before I was born about how my dad had a tough time getting a job and he went fishing and caught tons of fish and God provided as he went fishing. I remember the stories of God's providence to my family. And then I remember the story of God's providence to this church. I remember the story of God's providence to Pastor Brett Fuller and to Pastor Jim Critcher and Pastor Duke Bendix and Elder Roy Watson. I remember the providence of God to them. I remember the providence to God. Like, that's one of the cool things about church history. When you read about, like, the great awakenings in the United States, you're like, my God, you were good to us in those great awakenings. My God, you've been good to us with with these revivals that have happened. My God, you were good to us with the Azusa Street Revival in 1901. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so greatly. It might have been 1904 that the Azusa Street started. It was Topeka in 1901. Anyway, for any classmates who might be watching, we remember the goodness of God. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And it's, it's not that we live in, 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 like Pastor Eddie talked about in communion, that we, that we don't serve this God who's waiting for us to mess up so he can slap us sideways and, and show us how wrong we were. But we have a, a God who waits in the midst of our, of our difficulty, who waits to receive us. That's the God that, that we serve in. And we have a God who has compassion on those who, who fear him, who revere him, who respect him, who give him honor. And, and that ought to be the trend of our, of our lives. It doesn't mean it's without stumble or without error. But, the, but the, the theme of my life is one of reverence and honor and respect towards a loving and holy God. And his orientation toward us is love. I just want to ask, how can you receive, how can you remember the love of God this week? What can you do? Here are a couple ideas. I would encourage you to worship on your own time. I would encourage you to read your Bible. Start with five minutes. Just open up a psalm and start reading your Bible. You could read Psalm 77. That's the one I just read. You could read, uh, you could read the book of Mark, right? You'll get, it's exciting. It's action packed. It's, it's amazing. You get to see what did Jesus have in mind when he, when he came to the earth and how did he accomplish that? You could read all of first, second and third John. First John, Second John, Third John, pretty easily. More you could do you could do that more quickly than than you read the ESPN headlines that you that you want to check in on tomorrow morning. Prayerfully read your Bible and say, God, can you speak to me and help me remember and recognize your love today? And He'll be faithful to do it. 
And then we need to reflect it. After we've, after we've kind of rested in it, after we've savored it, after we've received it, after we've remembered it, after we've celebrated it, now we, now we work to receive it. Because, and, and this will happen naturally because you, you've got it in you now so it can't come out of you. Right? I, had this, I had this teacher in seventh grade who ate a lot of like garlic or cumin or something, like a lot. And the room smelled like it because it came out of his pores because he had so much of it in him, it couldn't help but come out of him. In a much more glorious way, <laughs> we can be filled so much with the love of God that that's the thing that emanates from us. It will be far greater than garlic. <laughs> far greater. Twitch a little bit. By this, you, by this, Pastor Eddie talked about this week, so I'll just gloss over it. But by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If love starts emanating from you, toward one another, the world will look on with astonishment and say, there must be a God. And there must be a God who's a certain kind of way. There must be a God who's loving. There must be a God who's righteous. There must be a God who's compassionate towards those who fear him. Because that's what's coming out of his church. That's what's coming out of his people. That's what's coming out of this house. That's why it matters that you're here. Because how will they know the love we have for one another if we're not with each other? How will they know that we have love for one another if we only celebrate together when things are convenient or or easy? The world will know we're his when we come together on on a Sunday after an election where we have different opinions, but we love one another anyway. We reflect this love of God by caring for one another. And I'll, and I'll land here. It's a famous passage from John 21, 15 through 17. You've got, yeah, you've got Peter and Jesus, and, and Jesus is questioning Peter, do you love me? And, and he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asked again, do you love me? And, and, and he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He's like, why is he quizzing me on this? I already told him twice that I love him. He asked me twice. I've told him twice. What does he want from me? And, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, now this passage, we could preach this for months and years and never get done with it. The only thing I want to highlight here is that Jesus said, you'll show your love by caring for other people. You'll show that you love me by caring for my people. And so, family, if we're going to reflect the love of God, one of the ways that we can reflect that love of God, one of the ways the fruit of the Spirit can become evident in our lives and through our lives is by caring for one another. Making meals for one another, calling one another, praying with one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another, inspiring one another. But we can't do that if we're not connected. We can't do that if we're... You can't do that if you don't know the name of of other people in this house. 
You can't do this if you don't know the names of other people. The the kingdom of God is bigger than Grace Covenant Church in Sterling. It includes at least Chantilly. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed. That would have been really awkward. (laughs) The guests would be like, oh, hold up. (laughs) Not not coming back. (laughs) Reggie, you can go ahead and come on up. Save it. Um... No, it's, it's not just about loving and caring for and feeding the people of Grace Covenant Church in Sterling, but this is, this is where we get, this is where we most practically know one another. And this is where we most practically can exercise this towards one another. And this is where we can make mistakes loving one another. And there's going to be more grace in this house than, than other places that you may have to learn how to exercise and practice and learn how to reflect this love.